0: Welcome back, everybody. hope you got into a good conversation during community time. Why don't you find your chair and we'll continue worshiping together. To me, anyway, it still feels really good to be back at Sheridan. Anybody else? It's been a great place for us over the years. Again, as Steph said, if we haven't met, my name is Michael Binder. I was on the pastoral staff for a long time. And uh, now I'm on the teaching team as a volunteer and a covenant member at Mill City Church. And if you're new, especially, and you ever wonder who is on the teaching team at this church, there's a webpage on our site that will show you all the different people. And one of our values is to hear from a lot of different voices, and we've done that for a long time, and it's a real strength of our community. So anyway, I'm honored to be bringing the message this morning and to be with all of you. Uh, Let's say a prayer before we take a look at the scripture this morning. Jesus, we pause and acknowledge that whenever we're gathered together, you promise to be with us. So we're not speaking to or listening to a distant God this morning. We're we're right here with you in this school in 2021 with all the challenges and opportunities that come with that. So we say thank you for being in our presence. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for challenging us. And thank you for including us in the work that you're doing, both in this school and in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we're going to be continuing our discussion of the Gospels, and we've been talking about the words and works and ways of Jesus, and today I'm going to focus really on this idea of the way of Jesus, or Jesus as a way of life. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But as we begin, I want you to bring to your mind someone that you love. Okay, can be anybody that you love, can be a friend of yours, somebody in your family, uh, a partner, whoever it is. Just have in your mind somebody that you love. And then think about your relationship over time and ask yourself the question, like, how does this person feel loved by me? Many of you who've known some of these people a long time, you've learned that they often experience love or feel love from you in a way that's different from the way that you feel love, right? This idea was made a little more famous by this book uh, that's old now called The Five Love Languages. Anybody familiar with The Five Love Languages? The idea is that there are some general categories for how people feel loved. And I always forget them when I'm trying to recite them, but here goes. There are uh, people who feel loved by the giving of gifts. Some people feel loved by quality time. Some people feel loved by uh, physical touch. Some people feel loved by acts of service. And some people feel loved by words of affirmation. When they hear somebody say, hey, I really appreciate this about you. Thank you. I got them all five. Appreciate the, appreciate the clap. Um, so maybe you see yourself in one of those categories. Maybe you've learned that even though you're a quality time person, the person that you love is not a quality time person. They're a gift person. And you need to learn to love them in the way that they experience love. Now, just keep that concept in your mind and think about this question. How, what do you think... Jesus' love language is. What do you think Jesus' love language? And don't say all five, okay? That's like a very Jesus-y answer, right? He has all the love languages. No, like what what do we learn from who Jesus is about what makes Jesus feel loved? And if you don't know the answer to that, it's all right. We're gonna explore it today. Maybe you have some initial ideas uh, of the way in which Jesus feels loved from us, the people who are trying to follow him. And that's what we're going we're gonna to focus more on that this morning. So I'm going to read you this passage from John 14. And as I read it, I want you to listen for Jesus' love language. But I also want you to listen. It's a little bit of a longer passage. Whenever we read scripture, uh, it's important to us at Mill City that you listen for something that God might be saying to you that may or may not be in the sermon. Because whenever God's word is read... Everyone who's listening to the Holy Spirit has the ability to hear something that God may want them to hear. So, even if I don't talk about it after the scripture is read, there might be something that God wants to say to you through this passage this morning. And so, let's listen together. Then, I'm going to give you just a little bit of silence after the reading of the scripture to just say, God, is there anything you want me to pay attention to as I hear this read this morning? Okay? It's from John chapter 14. Verse 15, starting in 15 to the end of the chapter. If you have a Bible, you want to bring it out, it will be on the screen. If you have a phone and you want to pull that up, uh, if that helps you, feel free. Jesus is speaking here. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the one who later betrays Jesus, said, but Lord, Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And because Jesus hates answering questions directly, he says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Shalom, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So just a moment of silence for you to, to think back on that text and say, is there anything that God might be saying to, to me personally this morning? couple times in this passage, Jesus says things like, if you love me, obey my commands, right? If you love me, you'll obey my teaching. I want you to just put yourself, try to put yourself in the midst of this conversation right now. It's not that long until Jesus knows he's going to experience death and then his resurrection. He's sitting with some of his closest disciples trying to comfort them, trying to encourage them, trying to help them understand what's happening. I don't know if you've ever been in a spot in your life where you sat with someone you cared about that you loved, and they said to you something that sounded like, if you love me, then this. Can you remember that ever being said to you? If you love me, then this is how you can show it to me right now, in this super important time in my life. You have to feel the emotion of this moment. This isn't a lecture that Jesus is giving. He's staring at some guys, one of which, two of which actually, he knows are going to pretend they don't know him and are going to betray him, one for money, one to protect themselves. These are people he's gifted his whole life to, and he's looking them in the eyes, and he's genuinely asking them, do you love me? Later on, after Peter denies Jesus three times on the night that he's arrested, Jesus reconnects with Peter towards the end of the book, and he asks Peter this same question three times. Peter, do you love me? What I want you to hear in this little bit of the story this morning is that Jesus isn't asking them if they believe the right thing in that moment. In fact, he knows they don't believe the right thing. He knows they don't fully understand what death and resurrection is going to look like, right? He knows that. More important to him in that moment is to look these guys in the eye and say, but do you love me? All this life that we've shared together, like, do you feel that for me? Can I count on you? You can count on me. Sometimes in the chaos of the 21st century, I, sometimes we get into really complex conversations and life seems overwhelming, it has to me anyway, in the last year and a half. And I need to return to moments like this where I just imagine myself, maybe you should this morning too, like imagine yourself sitting with Jesus and Jesus looking you deep in the eyes as somebody who knows you as well as anyone knows you and ask you the question, do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? If you love me, here's my love language. Obey my commands. Obey my teaching. And just so that that response from Jesus doesn't sound like some set of rules. You have to have a little bit of context of what he means when he says, obey my teaching or obey my commands. As a rabbi in the first century, one of the things that Jesus is passing on to his disciples is what's called his yoke. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of this concept in early. Okay, so some of you have. It's it's actually a farming uh, language. Go figure. And it it actually combines two animals together, like ties them together with this wooden yoke and allows them to do work in a field together, sort of side by side. So Jesus is teaching them his yoke and saying, like, you're going to come alongside of me and together we're going to bear the weight of the work that God has called us to do. That's That's what a yoke is. And so when Jesus says, obey my teaching, he's reinforcing for them what they would have heard him saying was, you are invited to take on my yoke. And the disciples would know what that meant. And they had been following Jesus around. They hadn't just been listening to Jesus lectures. They had actually been following Jesus around day to day, night to night, sleeping in the same places that he was sleeping, eating the same food that he was eating, entering towns and experiencing the same things that he was experiencing because the job of a disciple was not just to learn to teach the things that Jesus taught, but to actually be like the rabbi. And so when Jesus says, if you love me, obey my teaching, he doesn't have in his head a long list of Old Testament rules that he's expecting them to follow. He's saying, can you be like me when I'm not here with you physically anymore? If you love me, live into my way of life. And the way of life that Jesus had been teaching them was pretty different from some of the other first century rabbis, and that's what got Jesus in trouble. A quick snapshot of Jesus' yoke, a summary of Jesus' teaching, his way of life, would include things like you have to seek first the kingdom of God, which is near to you right now, and then everything else will be added to you. And in the 21st century, that way of life says instead of seeking first job security, instead of seeking first relational security, instead of seeking first personal happiness— Instead, learn to live a life that prioritizes the values and the principles of God's kingdom, the way that God's kingdom works on earth, and everything else that you need will be given to you by God. And Jesus would say things like, it's been said that you're supposed to hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus would say things like, Put your faith in me. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know the all-powerful God who created the world, then you have to put your trust in me and follow me because when you see me, you see God. That one got him killed, right? That was the most offensive thing that he said. He said that all the commandments could be boiled down to loving God and loving your neighbor. And he specifically told a story about a neighbor that he knew the people who were listening to him would hate in order to emphasize that they were supposed to love the people that they even felt the most hatred for. He talked about how the good news of God's kingdom was first and foremost for the poor and the marginalized, and that justice, God's justice, right? Not somebody's idea of justice. God's justice in the world was part of what the disciples were to live out as they followed Jesus. We could go on and on and on about Jesus' yoke, But it was dramatically different from what other rabbis were teaching. And it's still dramatically different from most of the religious perspectives in the world that are mostly focused on us, self-actualization, our happiness, our understanding of ourselves. And Jesus says, I know you better than anybody else, and I'm asking you to give up your life for the sake of others the same way that I have. That's how Jesus described his way of life. And so Jesus is looking at these disciples, asking them if they love him, and saying, will you pattern your whole life after the way of life that I have taught you? Will you give your spiritual, emotional, physical, relational, financial, sexual life over to the way in which I want you to live, the way in which I created you to live? If you will... If you will follow me and allow me to love you and guide you on that level. Then it says in the text that my father and I will also love you. And we won't just love you, we will come and make our home with you. And so the second part of this beyond Jesus saying carry my yoke or take on my yoke is he says you don't just have to do that by yourself. If you decide that you want to live the Jesus way of life, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, God's presence will come and make God's home with you, both individually and collectively. And so as Pastor Stephanie said a minute ago, our life is consumed, our needs to be consumed by paying attention to the ways in which the spirit of God is present in our everyday lives. Because Jesus promises us, if we're trying to live the Jesus way of life, if we're trusting God for our forgiveness for our sins and participation in God's mission, then the Spirit of God comes to us and leads us and guides us. For those who love Jesus by patterning their life after the way of Jesus' life, God's promise is eternal life, yes, but maybe more importantly, eternal relationship. In the text it says, we will be with you forever. Now and Forever. The Holy Spirit is referred to in this passage at one point as the spirit of truth will guide us in living the Jesus way of life in the 21st century. But we have got to pay attention and know that that spirit is trying to guide us each and every day. And one of the things that really stood out to me in this passage is a thought about how Jesus says the spirit will come to you, the spirit will be with you, I'm not leaving you, I'm going to be with you in a different way. But it's super clear in the text that the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, is not the same thing as our own spirit, right? And this is really important in the 21st century because it seems to me that more and more we start to conflate, you know, to make the same thing, God's leading and our own desires. And sometimes our own desires are lined up with what God wants for us, for sure. But sometimes they're not, right? And the more podcasts I listen to and the more ways in which I try to engage with other teaching that people are doing, I hear this over and over again, that you get to decide what your truth is. That you have to, in fact, define for yourself what your truth is. And then you have the pressure of then living out your truth. And if you don't live out your truth, then there's no one else to blame for how your life is going except you. Because the power is actually in you to live out your own truth. You have to just define it and then do it. If you've heard that in any form, and I'm sure that you have, please hear me say, that's not what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is not saying you get to decide what's true and then you're responsible for living it out. He doesn't say that here, does he? Instead, he says, the spirit of truth is going to come to you and live with you and teach you what is true. And so as Christians, one of the distinctiveness of this time of our life in the 21st century is for us to say, we are trying to pay attention to the way in which the spirit of God, the spirit of truth, the advocate, as it's referred to in John 14, is showing us how to live the Jesus way of life in the 21st century. And it's hard. And we don't always get it right but we don't get confused about what's our responsibility for defining truth and what's God's responsibility. Our job as a community is to listen well and and discuss together and try to find out what's the most faithful way for us to follow the leading of God's spirit right now in the midst of all our challenges and all the things we're facing. How does God want us to live? And so at Mill City for many years we've asked these two core questions. You know, what is it that God is saying or what is God doing and how can we join in? And one of the tools that we've used for a long time that I'm gonna quickly review for you in case you're new to it, is a tool that allows us to look at our everyday life and expect that the Spirit of God is going to be leading us, both as individuals and as a community. And so some of you have seen this tool before, it's called the Kairos Circle. Kairos is a word in Greek for time It means the depth of a certain moment. Like, usually there's chronological time. And in Kairos time, there's a depth of a moment. Like, one moment seems to have a little more meaning than the average moment. And as a group, we can collectively look back over your day, look back over your week, and say, were there any moments in the last day or week of my life where it really felt like God was trying to get my attention? Was there any moment that just felt like, oh, there's something more to this than just the average Tuesday at 2 o'clock? Or this conversation is still going in my head. I wonder if there's something that the Spirit of God is trying to tell me about that. And and once you're aware that God's Spirit is speaking to you and to us, you start to hear and pay attention to things that you wouldn't hear or pay attention to before. So you see this, this circle, and it's meant to help us process these moments that we identify that maybe possibly God may be trying to get our attention the x marks the spot of that moment and then you begin this process of repentance and belief repent means to turn towards God and away from something else and so as we turn towards God we observe the moment we reflect on it with other people and we discuss it with folks and say does this seem like something to you does this seem like something God might be saying Does this line up with what you know about me and my life? And then as you come around the other side of that circle, you start to make a plan with other people to say, these are the steps that I feel like God may be asking me to take. Please help hold me accountable as I take actions to move in this direction in faithfulness to God's leading. And so this is one tool that we use among a number of tools that are meant to help us pay attention to our everyday lives and expect that the Spirit of God is going to do something, is going to help us to, to hear what it is that God wants us to do. Other spiritual practices that um, that function that way are things like dwelling in the Word. Some of you have had the experience of listening to Scripture. We kind of did a mini version of that today where you just let the Scripture be read and then you wait and see if anything comes to the surface. It seems the most important to you. You can do that by yourself. You can do it with other people. Uh, there's a process of of going over one's day, the daily examine, some of these tools are on the website too, to see like what was it about the morning, noon and night that where God might have been present in your day and processing that in prayer with God. Uh, It could be a practice of just silent prayer in the morning where before you enter a really busy, crazy day, you take five minutes and learn to just sit in silence as a way to observe God's presence in your life. And if you've never done any of those things, Uh, Our church would love to help you start to practice some of those. I did want to say this morning that if we don't have any of these kinds of practices, maybe you're new to this or maybe you've been a Christian in a long time and no one's ever taught you how to do this. If you don't have any rhythms in your life of processing what it is that God might be doing in your life, then you're for sure going to miss it. Right? The pace of life and all the distractions that exist Unless you have a community of people who help you pay attention, you're going to miss it. Uh, I don't know about you, like I have an iPhone and every, every, is it 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, it pings me still because I haven't learned how to shut that off. And it tells me what I paid attention to the last week. It tells me how many hours I was on my phone. It tells me exactly which apps were open. It tells me how many times I picked my phone up. It tells me how long I used my phone after I picked it up. I have crazy detailed data about my relationship with my phone, and you probably do too. We need the same kind of relationship in paying attention to the way in which the spirit of God and the spirit of truth is active in our lives. I think if we paid like a quarter attention that we, most of us pay to our phones, we'd have a dramatic spiritual growth in our life. So what I wanna do as I close this morning is actually give you just a little bit of silence, okay? because I know silence is hard to come by in life, just maybe for two minutes or something while the band comes back up. And in that two minutes of silence, I want you just to say something meaningful to God. It could be something you're going through, it could be a question that you're asking, it could be um, something you're angry about that you wanna tell God you're angry about. Any kind of conversation where you say, um, God, I know you're listening, you can say it silently, you don't have to say it out loud. God, I know you're listening. Here's something I'm wondering about. Here's something I'm thinking about. Maybe you haven't talked to God in a really long time. And the only thing you need to say is, we haven't talked in a really long time. I'd like to start the conversation again. But just take like two minutes and allow some space in your life to let God speak to you and for you to speak to God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we we know that you're present. Help us this week to pay attention to you, to listen to you, maybe to open our Bibles for the first time in a while, try to have a regular conversation on a daily basis, to really continue to learn this way of life that you want us to learn. Speak the truth into our lives. Give us grace as we listen to others and support them. Help us to be humble and gentle to each other and give us courage that whatever it is that you call us to do, you won't leave us alone, you'll give us what we need to do it, and you'll be with us as we do it. Guide us and and break through into our lives among the many distractions and help us to prioritize you and your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.